A reading from Acts, chapter 2, starting at verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from every nation under heaven. When this sound occurred, a crowd came together and was confused because each one heard them speaking in his own language. They were astounded and amazed, saying, Look, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us can hear them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those who live in Mesopotamia, in Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the magnificent acts of God in our own tongues. They were all astounded and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But some sneered and said, They're drunk on new wine. Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and proclaimed to them, Fellow Jews and all you residents of Jerusalem, let me explain this to you and pay attention to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only nine in the morning. On the contrary, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. And it will be in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all people. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. I will even pour out my spirit on my servants in those days, both men and women, and they will prophesy. I will display wonders in the heaven above, in signs on the earth below, blood and fire and a cloud of smoke, the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord comes. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. God, we thank you for this passage of scripture. We thank you for the miracle of Pentecost. We pray that you would help us to understand what that means for us today the rule that the Holy Spirit has in the church. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I may be a Baptist pastor, but I wasn't actually raised in the Baptist church. I'm not a lifelong Baptist. In fact, I've been baptized twice in my life, once as an infant, once as a believer, and neither one of those took place in a Baptist church. So I was raised in an Anglican church, and that was a part of my upbringing, 
And I just thought that's the way church was. I got used to the traditions that we had. Uh, we had certain hymns that we would sing. Uh, the priest would wear a robe. And uh, some of the others who would help out in the service would wear robes. And we would follow uh, a book of liturgy, the, the Book of Common Prayer. Uh, we would share uh, communion from one cup, and it would be a mix of wine and water, and we'd have little wafers, and we would have communion every Sunday, and that's just the way things were. Uh, later on in life, uh, in my early 20s, I ended up switching over to the Pentecostal church. Now, let me tell you, that was a radical culture shock for me especially because my first Sunday there was Communion Sunday, which, by the way, it was a weird thing for me that there even was a Communion Sunday. I just thought everyone had Communion every Sunday. But uh, Pentecostals, like Baptists, will have it uh, once a month. And uh, I had no idea what they were going to be doing as they passed around uh, these uh, little crackers and... Uh, and little uh, plastic cups of grape juice. I thought, this is really, really bizarre. So there was a lot of differences, not just the fact that the, this church was uh, about uh, 10 times the size of the Anglican church that I grew up in, or that we had padded pews, or that the pastors wore suits instead of robes. There was a lot of different things that were going on, and that was uh, a real change for me. Now, when I got to seminary, I ended up switching to the Baptist church. And some of my friends uh, who used to tease me as a Pentecostal and being in a Baptist seminary uh, were a little bit shocked in my third year when I showed up as a Baptist. And uh, some of them uh, thought it was because that they, they paid me. And uh, I don't mind being paid as a pastor, but that's not the reason I'm a Baptist. It actually is a a comfortable place for me to be, uh, for me to uh, accept uh, the, the the focus of theology that we have. Uh, I can really hold on to that. Now, don't get me wrong, I still am thankful for my Anglican and Pentecostal roots, but I am also thankful to be a Baptist. Having said that, though, I am going to suggest in this message that every Christian should be a Pentecostal Christian. What? What am I saying? Am I saying that we all have to raise our hands in worship, that we're all supposed to be speaking in tongues, uh, that we're all supposed to uh, follow the Pentecostal style of worship? That's not what I'm saying at all. Rather, what I'm saying is that the church began at Pentecost, and what took place at Pentecost defines the church, not just the tradition that we know of today as the Pentecostal church, but the Christian church was defined by the principles that were found in the day of Pentecost when the church was born. So that's what we're going to take a look at right now. So in Acts chapter 2, we have a, a group of disciples of Jesus. And I suspect if you went and talked to them, they would probably claim to be a pretty diverse group because they had fishermen and they had tax collectors and they had people with different personalities. But let's face it, 
they were a pretty uniform group. There was not much difference. They were all Jewish men from Galilee. So there wasn't a whole lot of diversity going on in this first group of disciples. Now we could tell them that and they still probably struggled with the differences that were going on, but that is the fact that they were a, a pretty uniform group. There was not much diversity that was happening. And then we have this event where the Holy Spirit is poured out upon them. And there's a lot of things that we could look at here, their experience of speaking in tongues and, and what that means and, and all of that. But I wanna go right to the message that Peter gives. And uh, he gives this to uh, a much more diverse group than they had been used to. Yes, although the people here are still Jews, or at least converts to Judaism, but they're from a wide range of uh, places. So we, we shouldn't think of these as necessarily um, natives of all of these countries. Rather, they are Jews who moved to these other nations and then had returned to celebrate the day of Pentecost. And now they're, they're back into Jerusalem. And a uh, few of them maybe had been uh, natives of those nations, but had converted to Judaism and would now identify as Jews. But it was still much more diverse than what we had seen previously. And Peter, like a great preacher, goes directly to scripture. If he's going to bring meaning to what has taken place, he wants to look to the scriptures to find out what is going on. Now, to explain how the Holy Spirit is being poured out, there are many different Old Testament passages that he could have gone to. There are a number of them that speak of the Holy Spirit. But I believe that God guided Peter specifically to preach from the prophecy of Joel. And in this prophecy, we uh, hear about the Holy Spirit being poured out. And so uh, Peter is saying this is the fulfillment of this prophecy. Now, I need to confess to you, for a long time when I read this passage, this is how I heard the prophecy of Joel. In the last days, the Holy Spirit would be poured out, blah, 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 dreams and visions, blah, blah, blah. That's about what I heard. I looked immediately to the, the signs and wonders and the, the excitement of what was going on. But instead of just focusing on what was happening, we need to look at who it was happening to. And that is really important. We see that in this passage that it talks about the Holy Spirit being poured out on all flesh. But what do we mean by all flesh? There are some that might consider all flesh to be just the men. Uh, there are those uh, certainly in that culture who might have seen all flesh as just the Jewish people. There are many ways that we can define who are the all flesh that are receiving the Holy Spirit. But this passage goes on to give more detail as to what that all flesh looks like. It says that it is being poured out upon the men and the women. And this is really important. It, it, the Holy Spirit was breaking down gender barriers. There were expectations of what men were to do and what women were to do. 
and the Holy Spirit was blowing away those divisions. It also talks about age differences. It was going to happen to the old men and the young men. And so uh, also in that culture, there were expectations of what uh, older people were allowed to do and what younger people were allowed to do. And there were prejudices that went either way. And again, the Holy Spirit didn't care about the age, no matter how important that might have been to the culture. The Holy Spirit was being poured out upon all. And then it says the Spirit was also being poured out upon the servants. And so this is breaking down the economic barriers. It didn't matter if the person was a free person or a servant or a slave. Uh, the Holy Spirit was being poured out. All of those things were being blown away. They were being broken up. And it could be argued that the rest of the book of Acts is a uh, uh, filling out the details of this prophecy, of accomplishing this on a wider uh, canvas. Uh, in fact, we see similar events to the Pentecost event as the church would expand. We see them expanding uh, to the Samaritans. We see them expanding to the followers of John the Baptist. We see them expanding to the Gentiles, that is the, the non-Jews. And each time, the, the Spirit is given out once more. And every time, the disciples are shocked. They can't believe it. What are you doing, God? You know, we have a very clear idea of who deserves the Holy Spirit, and you don't seem to care at all about our prejudice. You're just giving the Holy Spirit to whoever calls upon the name of the Lord as if that's okay. And guess what? It was okay as far as God was concerned. God was bringing his approval. You get a sense as you read through Acts that the church kept saying, God, um, we actually have limits to who we want in this group. And yet God would break those barriers. He would remove those divisions. And he would give his Holy Spirit generously, creating a very diverse church. Now, thankfully, all of the mistakes of the church were made in the first couple of generations. Uh, by the time the first century was over, uh, all the mistakes of the church were done. Christians are pretty much perfect. We're very wise. And, well, okay, maybe not. Maybe that hasn't happened. Maybe we continue to make mistakes uh, generation after generation, century after century. We continue to struggle with having divisions in the church. It was 60 years ago that Martin Luther King Jr. said that 11 a.m. was the most segregated hour in the United States. And by that, he meant that it was in churches that segregation continued to be strong, that you would find lots of white churches, that you would find lots of black churches, but you would not find them mixed together. I actually have a friend uh, that I grew up with here in St. Catharines who moved uh, down uh, into the States uh, in the, the southern area. And he told me, uh, even with as uh, recent as within the last 10 years, that he really struggled to find a church that you would find that was uh, a mix of races. Uh, there was either black churches or there were white churches, and that's all that he could find. I believe he eventually did find a a good church that was um, multiracial, 
but it took him a long time. So this continues to be a problem. I mentioned that I had been a Pentecostal Christian uh, for a period of time, and that led me to looking into some of the history of it and the Azusa Street revivals that took place uh, in Los Angeles in the beginning of the 20th century was the beginning of the Pentecostal revival. And one of the most important people in that revival was a, a one-eyed black preacher named William Seymour. And Seymour was a, an interesting fellow. Uh, he was, he studied at Bible school, however, uh, because he was black, he wasn't allowed to actually attend classes with the white students. And so what the teacher would do is leave the windows open in the classroom so that William Seymour could sit outside and listen through the open windows to receive the, the lessons that were being taught to the rest of the students. That was the kind of uh, society that he was born into. And yet, when this Pentecostal revival happened, it seemed as if it broke away the barriers that were going on. It, it talked, there are writers from back then who talked about the colors being washed in the blood as you had blacks and whites preaching together. You had men and women uh, not just uh, worshiping together, but preaching, uh, having increased rules. Uh, you had the rich and the poor all together, and it was an incredible thing. Now, eventually, the, uh, the Pentecostal movement became more organized, and a lot of that diversity uh, evaporated, at least for a time, as many of those denominations divided according to racial lines. But in the beginning, that's not the way it was. It was a diverse revival that was taking place. This is something that the church has continued to struggle with, and not just in the Pentecostal tradition. I don't want to be seen as picking on them. The church growth movement that started a number of decades ago, they made recommendations about how a congregation can grow. And one of the things that they would teach pastors who were looking to grow the number of people in their congregation was to focus on one kind of people group. So to uh, focus on uh, perhaps uh, higher economic uh, white people or to uh, look at some other group and to focus on people who are all the same, that you don't want too much diversity because people want to be around people who are just like them. And they taught that if you want to grow your congregation, that's what you should do. You don't want to have too many people who are all different from each other. And there's a couple things I could say about that. One is uh, it often did work. You could get a congregation to grow in numbers. You could get more bums in the seats uh, by focusing on one kind of people. The problem is that is not what God wants for his church. God wants a diverse church. He wants a church where the Holy Spirit is breaking down the barriers between us. And that is what church is supposed to look like. I have been the part of churches in the past that uh, thought they were diverse. And by thinking that they were diverse, they meant uh, they had people, uh, Canadians, who were 
uh, from England or Scotland or from Ireland. And uh, when they were really radical, they would have people from Wales as well. But that was about it. That's about as far as the multicultural would go. I am so thankful for Queen Street Baptist Church and the diversity that we have and the, the things that we see happening in this church. I love looking up at the worship team or the choir and seeing people from uh, Japan and the Philippines and Mexico and Zimbabwe and Bolivia and other countries as well. I, I shouldn't name uh, countries because I'm going to forget someone, but that's the exciting thing is that we have so many of these countries represented in uh, in our church. Uh, one of my favorite parts of our sanctuary is the map that we have at the back where there are pins uh, pushed into where different uh, where people in our congregation have been born and it goes right across the world and that is really exciting. I'm also thankful that Queen Street Baptist Church is a church that has sought um, gender equality, that we have a long history of supporting and encouraging women in ministry, and I'm thankful for that as well. Another area that often is left out when it comes to discussions about diversity is that of people with disabilities, and that includes both physical disabilities and developmental disabilities. And I love our congregation for welcoming that. That's not to say that we're perfect. We're not perfect in any of the areas that we've been talking about. But we try. And we try to include people in uh, not just in being able to sing together, but involved in ministry, involved in leadership. And I am excited that that kind of thing happens. I will often talk to people from other churches and they'll ask because they know of my interest in disabilities. And they'll say, Steve, what do you do at Queen Street for disability ministry? And I'll say, uh, what we call our disability ministry is church. We don't have a separate group for people with disabilities. Not that there's anything wrong with that. We have people who actually go to some of these groups and they have a fantastic time. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. But as a congregation, we have sought to include people in the life of the church. And not just for people with disabilities, but we want to be inclusive of all in that way. That's what we want our church to look like. We are not perfect. But I see us moving in the direction of what the Apostle Paul describes as the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. That's what we want to be, to fellowship with the Spirit the Spirit creates our fellowship as well. That's what we want. Are you a Pentecostal Christian? And when I mean that, when I say that, I mean, do you uh, follow the principles that began on the day of Pentecost? You may not be Pentecostal in terms of the modern tradition of Pentecostalism, but we should all be Pentecostal Christians when it comes to the Holy Spirit coming into our lives, coming into our fellowship, coming into our congregation, and breaking down barriers. That is what God wants. Uh, there is a reason why Peter quoted Joel of all the prophets when it came to describing what was happening at, of the Holy Spirit appearance. It's not just that the Spirit was being given. The Spirit was being given to all all 
flesh, that God was creating a church that is diverse. There's a reason why I am preaching this message in this place right now, and I purposely wanted to have a stained glass window behind me, even though yeah, I risk having the light from the window and making me a little bit darker on the video. I thought it was important to, to have that behind me because it's in the diversity of the colors and the shapes and the shading that takes place in that window that makes it beautiful. We could have just a clear window there. It would be a lot simpler. It would be easier to replace when there's time for repairs, but it's not as beautiful. And you know what? Having a diverse church can sometimes be messy. It can sometimes be complex, and yet it is beautiful. And that is what God wants for this church. It's what we want for this church. And we're thankful that God is working in our ways by the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish these things. Let us pray. God, we thank you for sending the Holy Spirit upon the church 2,000 years ago. We pray that we would continue to receive the Spirit, and the Spirit would be upon each person, no matter what background they come from, no matter what they look like, no matter what they sound like, no matter what their interests are, that all those who call upon the name of the Lord would be saved, and that our unity would be in our common faith. We thank you, Lord, that you are doing a beautiful thing at Queen Street, and we pray that that would continue. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.